Shri Dhammadarjanani Chapter 5 Yashoda reprimands her son Kritvagasamtham Prahudantham Akshini Kasantham Ajanmasini Swapanina Udvikshamanam Bhaya Vifvalekshanam Haste Grihitva Bihishanti Avagarat when caught by Madhya Shoda, Krishna became more and more afraid and admitted to being an offender. As she looked upon him, she saw that he was crying. His tears were mixed with the black ointment around his eyes. And as he rubbed his eyes with his hands, he smeared the ointment all over his face. Madhya Shoda, catching her beautiful son by hand, mildly began to chastise him. Srimad Bhagavatam 10.9.11 As Yashoda held Krishna's wrists, Detant momentarily reigned. Mother and son realized that a significant page had turned in the chapter of the morning pastimes. He was caught. How the next chapter was scripted would depend a lot upon him. Would he confess? Would he apologize? Would he beg for clemency? Because they were just outside the palace gates, Yashoda and Krishna were no longer alone. The palace guards, though at attention, were witnesses to everything being said and done. Since neither the birds nor the monkeys could see from the palace, they all moved up to the trees. In addition, a few street neighborhood dogs sat up, scratched, and then cocked their heads to see. As for Krishna, disinclined to surrender, he tested Yashoda's grasp. She held fast. Trembling partly in anger, partly in fear, he remained unwilling to admit guilt. In that spirit, he put on a facade of courage that was quickly exposed by telltale tears. He was afraid. Yashoda repeatedly tried to look into his face. But whenever she did, Krishna turned away, and with his free hand, he wiped the remnants of yogurt from his mouth and body. Krishna reasons, The less the evidence, the weaker her argument, the more moderate my punishment. Finally, Yashoda had enough of his antics, and exposing the stick she was hiding, she waved it in front of him. Do you see this, king of rascals? If you do then do not try to run away again. The stick! She still has it! Krishna was shocked. She had cheated. But Yashoda was defiant. How else can a thief be caught other than by crooked means? She swung the cane for good measure. Whoosh! Krishna felt betrayed. Thieves should not complain when the court meets out harsh punishment. Krishna cowered in fear. There was no point in pleading innocence. Panicking at the prospect of being Cain, he reacted in the way an ordinary child would. But his ecstatic feelings were no simple affair. They were as complex as he was great. As fear dominated Krishna's entire being, 
His heart was devastated at the sight of the stick, disappointed that Yashoda would wield it, and yet full of compassion for causing her distress. His mind was flooded with anxiety, frustration, and bewilderment, and his face revealed signs of regret and humility. And while Mother Yashoda would have welcomed some expression of remorse, the stick in her hand remained such an overwhelming threat that Krishna could not think straight. As Rajvasi started to converge, Krishna felt increasingly humiliated. He was a leader of many friends and held a position of respect among them. Were the boys to appear now, he would become the butt of jokes and dishonored as their figurehead. At the confluence of many thoughts and emotions, Krishna was overwhelmed. After all, he was just a little boy, and so he did what all little boys would do. He began to sob uncontrollably. Krishna shivered and perspired. His heart hammered and his breathing slowed. His dark complexion faded. Devastated, Krishna's soft lotus eyes swelled and reddened. His mouth dried, his throat constricted. Although inclined to vent his tale of woe because of the lump in his throat, he could not. What could he do? Where could he go? To free himself from suffering, Krishna tried repeatedly to conceal himself in the folds of his mother's skirts. But she would have none of that. Mildly pushing him away, she kept exposing him for the rascal he was. Having no shelter than tears, Krishna cried and cried and cried. Krishna's tears mixed with the ointment around his eyes, leaving Yamuna black streaks down his face, chest, and belly. His tears flowed in such volume that they formed a pool-sized lake at his feet. As Krishna cried, the shores of the pond grew and eventually reached his mother's toes. Yashoda was startled. What is this pond of tears? Is it some witchcraft or some other display of this rascal's mystic powers? Actually, Krishna's crying was a symptom of his existential love for her, his sattvika bhava of shedding tears. Saints say that when under the influence of love, the life force comes in contact with the water element, the result is tears. And since Krishna was the reservoir of all universal water, his crying would produce oceans. But that should not happen, thought Yogamaya. A display of majesty, like crying oceans, would hinder this pastime of sweetness. And so Yogamaya moderated Krishna's crying to that of an ordinary child and imperceptibly dried up the lake of tears at his feet. Yashoda Devi cleared her vision. Was the pond there or not? With more pressing issues at hand, she relegated the appearance and disappearance of the lake of tears to an illusion of her mind, and again, she had more important things to do, like disciplining Krishna. And the introduction to such discipline would be to show indifference. She would give him the cold shoulder. Like the stick, Yashoda's indifference was a new feature of the relationship between mother and son. Krishna was expecting something else. He was expecting the warmth of touch and the kindness of love with which Yashoda always wiped away his tears. But that was in the past. It was not what she was doing at the present. And it was not what she intended to do. She wanted him to learn to take responsibility for his acts. 
dejected, Krishna wiped his own tears, and in the process smudged the black eye ointment all over his blackish face. Seeing Krishna's sad demeanor, Yashoda almost succumbed to her maternal nature, but the importance of educating him restrained her. Missing the soothing touch of his mother's hands, Krishna felt forsaken and alone. Although his anjana-covered face and his red, fearful eyes invoked both humor and pity, Yashoda was unbending in her determination to do what was best for her son, so she restrained herself from comforting him. If I take pity on him, if I save him from a scolding, he will become habituated to bad acts and grow up a wrongdoer. For his own sake, I cannot succumb to the dictates of the heart. I must follow the wisdom of intelligence. Of course, Krishna's rubbing his eyes was not without design. Now that Yogamaya had cut back his tears, he rubbed his eyes as much as to create new tears as to wipe away the old ones. And since he had been spared an introduction to the stick, he desperately wanted to sidestep any chance of a later meeting with it. Although greatly fearful, he was also wily. He knew that he needed to garner as much sympathy as he could. To feign excessive fear, he rolled his eyes as to indicate impaired vision. He blinked repeatedly. He had to break Yashoda's peak. If mother sees my horror, then she will surely not hit me with that horrible stick. However, by making a show of greater fearfulness, Krishna also increased his own feelings of fright, so much so that the pearl beads on his neck, the ornaments on his limbs, and the anklets on his feet all quivered. But Yashoda was no stranger to her son's antics. She would not be hoodwinked by the show of distress, be it real, feigned, or both. He had broken her favorite churn, vandalized the storeroom, and run away from her. Enough was enough. Now it was his turn to hear about and take responsibility for his errant ways. The demigods above whispered among themselves, Just see. While perfected yogis can never quite reach him, this gopi has caught the Supreme Lord just by running after him. O oh, friends, although Krishna invokes fear in even the likes of Maha Kaleshwar and Yamaraj, Yashoda makes him tremble in fear of a stick. But what is most extraordinary is that whereas we, including Brahma and Shiva, constantly praise him, this lady is just about to scold him. They concluded, Such is the glory of spontaneous loving devotion to our Lord. It supersedes mystic power, heavenly attainment, and regulated devotion. Yashoda held Krishna's chin and turned his head, trying to catch his elusive eyes with her gaze. He would not cooperate. Exasperated to no end, she let loose a torrent of expletives. Oh, Ashanta, O restless one! Roshagrasta! O oh, one swallowed by anger. Mugdha, Prakrita, greedy one. Vanara, Priya, friend of the monkeys. Griha, Lubdhaka, house thief. Why have you brought ill fame on your lineage with such bad qualities? Krishna was hurt. 
Why did she have to call him names like friend of the monkeys? He tried to pull away. Yashoda raised the stick. Stand where you are and take your medicine. I will punish you. And that punishment includes not being able to see your friends or to play. Krishna cowered in fear of the stick. Would she really hit him? No, she would not. Although Yoshoda wanted to correct her son, there are limits that she would not cross, and striking her son was forbidden territory. But she would not hesitate to make believe that she would. If you are so afraid of this stick, then why do you think twice about breaking the churn? Krishna thought, It never crossed my mind that you would raise a stick at me. Out loud he said, I promise I will not do it again, but please drop it. Mother Yashoda would not drop it. After so much effort, he was finally restrained. Instead of calming down, she became more intense. She gazed at him sternly, shook the stick, and scolded him. For Krishna, Yashoda's admonishment was the most intense punishment that he had ever received. It was an expression of love that manifests two divinely contrary aspects. On one hand, it soothed him like a heavenly shower. On the other, it shook him like an earthquake. Time was passing slowly, agonizingly so. Krishna felt the shadow of Yashoda's anger to be the shelter for millennia. But Yashoda's perspective, time was different. She thought her chastisement to last but a moment. Such are the relative movements of time, even in the timeless pastime of the Supreme. As Yashoda continued to upbraid her son, the idea of tying him dawned over the horizon of her mind. Promises, promises, what is the value of a liar's promises? No, you will not do it again, because you will have no access to butter. What? he thought. No more butter? And no more yogurt. No yogurt either? I will tie you up, and for the time being, you cannot play with your toys or your companions. Friend of monkeys, reform and stop your mischief. There it was again, that friend of monkeys jibe. Krishna pleaded, Mother, I shall not do it again. Mother Shoda could maintain her peak only for so long. Having vented her frustration and seeing the charm in his sad face, she felt her resolve weaken. But he should not see me compromise, she thought. Again, she raised the stick for emphasis. If you ever again want to steal from this house, then remember the stick. Having said that, Yashoda Devi let the stick fall to the ground. Krishna breathed a sigh of relief. Dark clouds of fear parted, but the stick was still too close for comfort. Please don't hit me, he whimpered. Queen Yashoda laughed in response, and by doing so drew the attention of the nearby guards. King of thieves, from where did you inherit your thieving ways? Do you think your father and his lineage are highwaymen? Krishna shook his head. Are liars? Krishna shook his head. Then tell me, O wayward descendant of saints, how was the churn broken? Krishna rolled his eyes and thought, Through an act of God. Mother, it was your karma. 
Yashoda was amazed. Where did he get such ideas from? Oh, yes, of course. And who gave the butter to those monkeys? Krishna pointed to the simians in the tree. Was that God too? Krishna nodded. Ultimately, the same Lord who created them also directed me to feed them. And you could not wait to enjoy the butter until after it was offered to God? Or do you think you are God? Or is the butter more tasty when it is stolen and unoffered? She was right on both accounts. But what could he say? Staring at the ground, Krishna drew lines in the sand with his toe. Seeing his confusion, Mother Yashoda's heart melted. Chuckling, she said, Be good now, and tell me the truth. No more stories. Hearing her voice soften, Krishna looked up, and for the first time since being caught, he looked into Yashoda's face. Mother and son marveled at the beauty of each other's eyes. Krishna thought, Her eyes are two bottomless pools of love that evolved the sense of sight to direct their emotions at me. Yashoda thought, his eyes are whirlpools of gaiety that relentlessly respire every drop of love for him. So tell me, mother, you ran with such energy to save the boiling milk that your anklet struck the churn and pierced it. Why blame me? Thereafter, the Lord inspired some monkeys to raid your storeroom and steal its contents. Why fault me? Yashoda Devi was mesmerized by Krishna's eloquence, even though every word he said was a lie. But magician that he was, Krishna spoke in a way that made his lie sound like a symphony of sweetness. In other words, what he said paled in comparison to how he said it. She nodded, wanting to hear more. Then, as I was trying to save the yogurt from the monkeys, you attacked me with a stick treating me as if I were a common thief. Without pity, you chastised me like a shadow, even though I was frightened to death. Yashoda shook her head in amazement. How has this boy become such a honey-tongued spinner of yarns? Surely he will become a political advisor in the court of a great king. Feeling some remorse for hurting Krishna's feelings, Yashoda said, O oh, most eloquent storytellers, O oh, best of thieves, though you are born in an aristocratic family, by befriending monkeys you have taken on their qualities. What a shame! Here was that monkey simile again! Somewhat emboldened, Krishna spoke his mind. He had tolerated enough being associated with monkeys. Mother, if you think that I am a monkey, then maybe I should go to the forest and live with my monkey friends. Yashoda was shocked. Things were going too far. Who knows? This boy is so angry and so stubborn that he may just do it. I cannot take the chance. Better that I tie him up. Yashoda Devi looked here and there. To look after both he and the house is too difficult. To Krishna she said, My dear little thief, O oh you, who by the beauty of your restless rolling eyes spreads confusion everywhere and in everyone, you have ignored all my attempts to discipline you, therefore I will tie you down right here, right now, so that I can return to the house and clean up the mess you made. Let us see you invoke your mystic powers to steal more yogurt and butter when you're tethered like a black calf to a post. 
Yashoda's words infuriated Krishna. How dare she bind him like an animal? He huffed and puffed. The very thought of it made him want to spit. But he restrained himself. Spitting would no doubt invoke the return of the stick. Instead, he wailed to the sky. Oh, Rohini Devi, where have you gone with my brother? Oh, Rama, come back quickly. Mother wants to tie me up. Help, help. Although Rohini and Balaram were too far away to hear, Krishna's call did not fall on deaf ears. The ladies who had not gone to the Diwali festival noted a call of distress and left their houses running. Gathering in a group, the elderly gopis addressed the situation, and one after another cynically but respectfully addressed their queen. O oh, noble one, how many times have we complained about the havoc your son creates in our homes? But you ignored us in favor of his lies. You protected him, even though he is obviously a deviant. Now he has plundered your house, and finally you see the light of day. Tell us, how will you punish him? Let us help you. The ladies of Gokul goaded Mother Yashoda into taking further disciplinary action. She looked at her subjects, nodding in agreement. Her mind was made up. She would tie Krishna to a tree or a big rock. Gopis, palace guards, demigods, monkeys, birds, and dogs looked on. What would she do? As different as were their conceptions of Krishna's identity, that common was their appreciation of Mother Yashoda. Speaking among themselves, these associates of the Lord glorified the wonder of Yashoda's love, a love so extraordinary as to make her unaware of his unlimited power. Because they shared a love similar to hers, and because they were favored by her, the gopis understood Yashoda Devi's attachment to Krishna. One of them said, Yashoda Devi's affection for Krishna far exceeds the attachment she has for her own life. Another gopi added, No doubt, our queen would repeatedly give up her life for her son's comfort. And so the gopis conversed. Yashoda is affectionate and compassionate to all children, but she has a special affection for Krishna. Why else would she consider binding him like an ordinary child? Oh, friend, just consider the nature of Queen Yashoda's love. It is so exalted that it makes her blind to his supernatural influence. If Putana could not poison him, if Trinavarta could not steal him, if a fully loaded cart could not crush him, how can she tie him? Oh, friend, you misunderstand Yashoda Devi's thinking. Based on past experience, she fully knows how difficult her task will be. Still, loving affection obliges her to do what she thinks is best for him, however influential he may be. He is certainly a mysterious child, so innocent, and yet possessed of such unprecedented powers. He must be the incarnation of a perfected mystic. Or a high-ranking demigod. Who knows? He may be even an incarnation of Vishnu. Do not forget the words of saintly Gargacharya. While the gopis spoke amongst themselves, the guards listened, sharing a similar understanding amongst each other. The demigods in heaven, however, did not have the privileged vision of the Brajwasis. Somewhat puzzled by what they saw and heard, they conversed amongst themselves. How extraordinary this Gopi is. Although she has seen her son's supernatural powers, she still plans to tie him up.
Another celestial opined. Her compassionate nature binds her to his prowess. And with a mind full of affection, she has lost her discretion. O Deva, I think that there is more to it than that. Maternal affection is so powerful that in her noble quest to correct Krishna's naughty conduct, it has made Yashoda Devi lose all rationale. Another debit god had a different perspective. O wise ones, my conviction is that the queen of Gokula is fully aware of Lord Krishna's divine strength. She knows she will not be able to tie him up, yet maternal love obliges her to try. O friend, I agree with you in, in part. She knows his strength, but I disagree when you say she knows she cannot tie him up. It is just the opposite. Loving devotion bewilders her into thinking that even though he is the Supreme Lord, she is stronger, and so she can bind him. A senior demigod concurred, I agree. Because she is his mother, Queen Yashoda considers herself more powerful than Lord Krishna. Her thinking is based on the universal rule that mothers are stronger and more influential than their toddler offspring. This viewpoint did not sit well with everyone. And so a debate um, arose among the demigods. Did Mother Yashoda know the true powers of her son, or was she ignorant of them? The argument was finally settled when a heavenly sage commented, O oh, respected demigods and goddesses, when Lord Krishna was a toddler and ate dirt, Mother Yashoda looked into his mouth and saw all the universe inside him. From this incident, there should not be any doubt amongst us that she knows who he is. Anticipating the strength of his intelligence in matters of thievery and audacity, she thought that she would quickly tie him up before he manifests those same mystic powers. The birds and monkeys disagreed. Hearing the celestial's judgment, they exchanged glances of mutual shared disinterest. Neither the monkeys nor the birds considered the demigods fully realized in the nature of Rajbhakti. They chatted amongst themselves. What difference does Krishna's supreme divinity make to the fortunate soul who has maternal loving devotion to him? None at all. And that being the case, why would the presiding deity of maternal love, Queen Yashoda, give it a second thought? Exactly. Although she has seen the universe within him, although she has heard that he is just like Narayan, although she has seen him kill demons, our queen does not care for these things. Pure love for her son makes his good conduct a higher priority for her than understanding who he is and how his powers are spread everywhere. Considering that he should be directed to the path of good behavior, she has thrown aside her stick and will now try to bind him. Yes, and the absence of his being able to practice self-control, Dhamma, Yashodadevi considers the next best step is to control Krishna with a rope, Dhamma. The birds and monkeys cheered at the prospect of witnessing a new pastime. No doubt it would shower them with unprecedented sweetness. Yet the wise owl knew that this pastime was not new, that it was eternal, and that the ancients sometimes spoke of it. He thought, How wonderful to see firsthand this treasured Damodara Leela. The dogs listened to the other animals' converse. They were not liberated souls. In their past life, they lived in Gokul as practicing devotees. 
but due to their offenses they had now taken a lowly birth. Gradually, by living in Vrindavan, they developed faith in the devotion displayed by Krishna's associates, and so they accepted as truth whatever the monkeys and birds said. By such continued association these dogs would also attain perfection, at which time their understanding of Krishna's pastimes would mature. In the meantime, they had complete faith in the conviction of their superiors. In addition to the above-mentioned creatures, there were innumerable living entities in Gokul, moving and unmoving, that had realized the truths of Krishna's pastimes, either partially or in full. Among them were Krishna's eternal associates who have descended from, with him from Goloka, like the Bandira tree. There were also practicing devotees who had attained perfection and were thus rewarded with Krishna's companionship and the guidance of his eternal associates. Aside from these perfected souls, there were other qualified beings who had taken birth in Vraj, demigods, fallen practitioners, and exceptionally blessed souls being just some. Among these blessed souls were two Arjuna trees who were watching Krishna from a distance. Because these trees were growing side by side, the Rajvasis called them twin Arjuna trees, Yamala Arjuna. Blessed long ago by Narada Muni, they now stood at the edge of Gokula village, waiting to be delivered by the son of Madhya Shodha. <laughs> 